You're listening to the Intama Podcast, where we help you to generate new growth opportunities for your firm. Intama is not a financial advisor, and the contents of this podcast are for information purposes only. You should consider seeking independent legal, financial, taxation, or other advice to check how the information relates to your unique circumstances. This is your host, Ray Jarney. Um, welcome to this podcast today where I'm joined by Brad Matthews and together we're going to look at the the role and importance of investment committees. G'day Brad, how are you? Yeah, good thanks, Ray. Good. Now Brad uh, is the founder and uh, director of uh, investment consulting firm BMIS and together we've worked on a couple of client assignments uh, where we've worked with wealth management firms that are looking at exploring whether managed accounts are right for their clients and right for their business. And invariably, uh, one of the questions that pops up is uh, the, the, the role and importance of an investment committee and how they go about setting up an investment committee. And so I thought, who better than to help us explore some of those questions and to give us some tips and to uh, help us avoid some of the shortcomings than Brad Matthews. So Brad, maybe maybe to kick it off then, um, is it worth just you taking us through some of the scenarios that where you've seen investment committees being used? Yeah, sure. Investment committees are used for a variety of purposes. Uh, ones I've been involved with, uh, for example, uh, licensing investment committees covering approvalist management, so approving funds for APLs and, and taking funds off APLs. Uh, I've been involved with investment committees for funder funds products. Um, investment committees for model portfolios um, at a licensee level or a firm level, uh, but also, and, and, and more commonly of late, investment committees around managed accounts. And um, certainly investment committees are an essential part of running a management managed account structure. Uh, and they do need to be quite formal in their setup as well. Yeah, okay. So just on that, and maybe just thinking about the role that they play in the context of managed accounts, what do you see as the role of the investment committee in a managed accounts environment? Well, I think it, the, primarily it is all about the governance of the investment program. So any managed account has a investment program that's defined with objectives and mandates. And, and the investment committee is really the primary mechanism by which you govern that program. Um, and that, that's what's an essential part of the, the managed account process. So in, in order to achieve that governance, one of the roles of the committee is to make sure the investment outcomes are optimised um, in line with the objectives um, and also that um, the investment program is, is following the mandates, is compliant with the mandates. Um, it's also about holding individuals to account. So various parties have a role to play in the investment process within yeah. a managed account. Uh, and it's really the committee's role to make sure people are delivering on their objectives and, and are accountable for uh, work that has to be completed as part of that program. The, the other benefit of running a, a formal governance structure through a committee is that you have a permanent record of uh, the decisions that have been made uh, and also a permanent record of why those decisions have been made. So if you have a challenge in the future, um, you've got that in writing as to why the investment program is as it is or was, was as it was uh, throughout time. I wonder, 
I wonder if it's a good time also to, you know, people often hear the terms investment committee and, and also investment charter. Is it worth you just spending, you know, a, a couple of minutes just explaining to us what, what the investment charter's role is, you know, versus a committee? Yeah, sure. So in, in investment charter, again, it's an essential part of running a, running a formal investment committee. So the investment charter is a document that really describes uh, the the role of the committee and some of the boundaries around which it operates. It's really the the document that delegates the authority to the committee. Right. Um, so it will describe what the objective of the investment program is, um, what some of the limits are to the program, and that, that might be limits around asset allocation, the types of investments, um, the objectives of the what we're trying to achieve through the investment program, uh, importantly, the voting protocol. So how does the committee actually make the decisions um, through the, the, the rules around voting and also define some membership, yeah. um, both in terms of what the membership is in the current state, but also how you add and subtract members from the committee. Yeah, great. And, uh, and we'll touch on that membership a little bit later on as well. Um, in terms of the investment committees you've been involved with or sat on, I know one of the questions that often pops up is, you know, the mix or the, 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 the balance between operational issues that the committee might look at and or um, versus, say, investment issues. So in your experience, um, what, have, what have you seen? Have you seen that, they, that investment committees get sort of involved in both operational and investment issues or, or do they generally do one or the other? Yeah, I think it is a bit of a trap that you see investment committees possibly get involved in too much operational day-to-day management. And that's not really the role of the committee. Often it comes about because you have a lot of the involved people together at the one time. Uh, so it is possible that you do get bogged down in the day-to-day operational aspects of running an investment program. But really the investment committee should be about the governance of the program overall. Uh, not in terms of task management on a day-to-day basis. Ideally, that is run through another mechanism uh, where you, you should have a separate process for operation and compliance management um, right. associated with an investment program. Yeah, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Because I think particularly as some of the smaller to medium-sized businesses are trying to bring this level of governance to their businesses you know, in the context of, say, managed accounts, um, they're probably used to getting in one room and talking about a number of issues as management or owners of a business. But what you're saying here is that when you're sitting in that investment committee and you're wearing that investment committee hat, let's say as an advisor or owner of a business, then it's really important to be clear what the purpose of that meeting is and, and what sorts of decisions you're actually being asked to make in that investment committee. Yeah, that's right. And I think it's equally important that you do have a separate process put in place so that the operational issues get the attention they, they deserve as well. As well, right. And I think uh, a lot of firms that I've seen aren't necessarily very well set up initially to deal with the operational risk of running an investment program through a managed account structure. Um, so the, the, one of the big operational risks in running a managed account program is that you have errors in transaction execution. Yeah. And in the old world where... Uh, advisors are used to running investment programs on a one-to-one basis. So one, one transaction impacts on one client. In a managed account world, if you make an operational error, potentially you're affecting hundreds of clients. So you do need very tight operational management around a managed account, which really justifies having a separate process put in place yeah. to manage that. And we've seen that, haven't we, where we've you know seen an investment committee um, you know talk about matters that are related to investment issues, but then, as you said, the question pops up about maybe the execution of changes or whatever and following it up with, say, 
the chosen platform or technology and making sure that those things actually are being implemented in the right way. So that's right. That's yeah. a really good good way of you separating those two things. So tell me, look, you, I know, I know from personal experience, um, having worked with you previously as well, Brad, that you've participated in a number of investment committees over the over many years. So what would you say is the most common shortcoming that you see with the way committees operate? Yeah, look, it's a good question, Ray. I, I would say at the outset that it is actually quite difficult to get investment committees working well. Um, that it's not not a not an easy thing to do to get optimal performance out of an investment committee. I think one of the big challenges that investment committees face is to have the decisions made being made with the correct level of analysis, so that you do have analysis-led decisions. Uh, if you have the wrong mix of people or you have the wrong dynamics between the members. Uh, there, there is a risk that committees will make decisions without the required analysis behind those decisions. So I think it's a matter of making sure that the disciplines are in place and the appropriate level of resources are in place to, to really be in a position where every decision that is made has the correct level of analysis and, and risk management behind it. Right. So, so how have you seen or how do you think committees ensure that they avoid this problem? I think uh, one, one critical thing is having the right number of members. So uh, it becomes quite unwieldy, I think, if you have more than, say, five, six um, yep. members on a committee. Um, the more members you have, the bigger risk is that you deviate away from having optimal decisions being made. Yep. I think associated with that is, is having the right skills, um, but also importantly, making sure that each member knows what their role is and what their skill level is so that you don't have... Uh, say someone who has a lot of seniority um, making decisions because of that seniority when they haven't necessarily put or understood the analysis behind a decision. Um, more specifically... So, I, sorry, just on that point, Brad, does that then also come into voting and how, how decisions are voted on? So if you take that example of someone with seniority that might be able to sway a decision or influence it a certain way... Um, what what sorts of things have you seen either in the charter or in the way the investment committees are run to sort of stop that from happening? Yeah, I guess there's a, there's a couple of things you can do in terms of the, the formal protocols around the voting. Um, what, one is you could require um, majority rather than unanimous decision making. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and that at least forces everyone to, to have a vote um, yeah. and, and ensures that you know where each member stands in the in the decision-making process. Uh, another way you could sort of manage that issue of um, decisions being made without the right analysis is that you have an independent investment person on the committee, an independent investment specialist, yep. uh, and they may have the right to veto any, so, so any like, decision. Could that be like an asset consultant? Correct, yep. yeah, yeah. Yep. So if they have the right to, to veto any decision, there's effectively, I guess, a, an additional level of risk management uh, where that they would be able to stop uh, an investment being made that they didn't believe, believe it was, was yeah. investment grade. So uh, you couldn't with, force, you know, an owner of the business in that example couldn't uh, influence or force a particular change to an asset class or a particular underlying investment if the asset consultant in that example that you give, um, you know, with their professional judgment and expertise says, no, well, actually, we think that's the wrong thing to do. Correct. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I think I think in reality, most of the committees that I, I do work on ultimately do always. I guess it's it's always good to reach a unanimous decision. Uh, if you can't convince everyone of the decision being right, then 
um, potentially there's more there's a need to spend more time on that process. Yeah. Okay. So that that's 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 great. So that that sort of takes us quite nicely into well, just on that membership, what what does the ideal membership mix you know that you refer to actually look like? Yeah. Well, there's a, I think there's a few key core components that you need within that membership mix. Um, I, I certainly do believe that the users of the program being the advisors need to have input into the committee process. So having having some sort of advice uh, membership is, is important. Or a representation of. So back to your, you can't have too many. If you've got 10 advisors, you're not suggesting all 10 are no, on the committee, no. for instance, but you're saying a representation of the advisors. Correct. Yep. Yeah, you, okay. ne- you need to have that input because essentially... Uh, the advisors are the ones who are positioning the investment program with the clients, yeah. uh, and there needs to be that involvement yep. in in the the decisions that have been made. I, I, I do think you need some sort of investment specialist, so someone who's going to do the analysis, do the work uh, to both monitor the investment program, but also provide the um, the the detailed input that's required to make recommendations for change. I, I think that's a, an important and, role. And and just on that one, Brad. I mean, in what we see. The reality is with the smaller size businesses, that's invariably a third-party external person, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's not someone yeah. in-house. I mean, it, it could be. It could be if that if that firm has that expertise in-house. Yeah. Um, but generally, from what we see, that's a that's a third-party independent Correct. consultant. Yeah. yeah. And, and there are some advisors who do specialise in investments and may have the skills to do that. But yeah. I think generally it's a... It's, it's a role that a third party has the time and the focus to yep. provide in a, in a more optimal okay. fashion. Yep. Uh, I also think there, there is a need for someone within the committee structure to actually take ownership of the compliance and operational issues, um, and, and particularly compliance in terms of ensuring that the, the investments are within the licence of the, the, um, of, of the licence holder, um, that they have the authority yep. from a licence perspective uh, that the program is running within the mandates that have been defined by either the licensee or the platform, um, and that decisions are being made consistent with the charter. So there needs to be that um, that role performed either by one of the, the the members or someone who's brought into the committee specifically to, to yeah. take on that function. So we've we've seen real life examples of that, haven't we? Where we where the licensee is a third party licensee and actually has a representative sitting on the committee. Correct. Uh, yeah. And or there's a very direct. Uh, link between the minutes and you know decisions taken by the committee back to the licensee's own risk and governance sort of framework that they would run. That's right. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. it is ultimately a, a, a governance committee. Yeah. Um, so okay. we, we do need some specialised focus on on that area. Yep. And, and finally, I think there is a need for a chair, obviously, um, and the the role of the chair is to make sure that the committee run, runs efficiently. Uh, that appropriate time is is being given in in getting agendas out and minutes that are read. Um, and, and also just generally making sure that the committee's running according to the to the charter. Yeah, and back to you, I think that's a really good one also in terms of, um, you know, back to your point about record keeping and just, I think, um, having that sort of discipline and, and formality with minutes and agendas and circulating what's been agreed and making sure at the next meeting, like any, any formal meeting, that the chair is actually going through the you know minutes of the prior meeting and making sure that all the committee members are actually all on the same page in terms Correct. of the decisions that were taken. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What about um, in terms of the the frequency with which these committees meet? Um, you know, throughout the year. I mean, in a formal sense. So, what what are you seeing there? What what's sort of the the general frequency that, that you're you're seeing? Yeah, I think it depends on how tactical the investment program is and how frequently there are changes being made or, or what the objective is around the 
the degree to which the program changes. Most committees either meet monthly or quarterly. That tends to be the standard approach. I actually think, do think bi-monthly works quite well because yep. yep. sometimes quarterly is too infrequent yep. and monthly can be too, too frequent. Um, so once every two months is a nice balance between those two. Um, but again, it comes back to how the program operates, what the objectives are, and there is always the ability to, to make decisions outside of a committee uh, formal meeting as well, which um, obviously if you are going to be particularly tactical, you will need to do. So I'm thinking about some of the things that have happened globally and obviously, you know, something like a Brexit or something that, you know, takes place like that is, is a classic example, isn't it, of when a committee would just convene to think about the impact on on its, you know, investment strategy, etc. Definitely. And that that is often outside of the, you know, predetermined time. So what you're saying is you might do it bi-monthly, but obviously the committee's there to be able to, to meet either by phone or Skype or whatever as need be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think you need that flexibility. I say it's an essential part of running an yeah, investment program, right. definitely. Yeah. Well, Brad, thanks very much for taking the time. I, th- I think you've really, you know, given your, your expertise and understanding investment committees, I think you've really helped helped us and our listeners to sort of think about some of the areas that they need to get right when they're putting a managed account service together and thinking about the role of an investment committee. So thank you very much, everyone. That concludes our podcast. And I'd like to thank thank you, Brad, for, Thanks, for your time. Um, and, uh, you know, if you have any questions or need help setting up your investment committee, then please just feel free to get in touch with us at Intama and, um, and we'll do the best to help you out. Thank you. Mm-hmm.